Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. All right, uh, Ephesians 4, and we are still on in verses 11 through 16. So this is uh, basically Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, part 2. Last Sunday we talked about these verses, but there's a lot more that can be said about these verses. And I feel like almost every time I say there's a lot more that could be said about these verses, but then it, that lot, lot more is never mentioned. So today let's, let's spend more time here and let's talk about that lot more that can be said. Um, I'm sure I'm going to say it again because there's a lot more that could be said. But let's, uh, let's pray. Let's uh, ask God for his, um, for his guidance, for his leading as we, uh, as we study his word. God, we thank you for... We thank you for the privilege of being a part of your body of the body of your son, Jesus. Thank you for being the privilege of being a part of your people, being members of your family. God, we thank you that we can call you Father, that we can approach you with confidence, with boldness, because of the work of your son, Jesus, on the cross. Thank you that we are your children through the work of your son, Jesus not because of anything that we have done, but it is only by your grace that we belong to you, that we have access to you. God, please lead us today as we study your word. Please speak to us. Please make... uh, The words that you have prepared for us, uh, please make them have a transforming effect on our hearts. Please help us to grow closer to you, to grow into into the, the stature of your son, Jesus. Please help us to grow in unity. Please bless the preaching of your word, and I pray that you fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit to be able to receive your word. Please open our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read. uh, I, I want to read the whole passage again for context. Before we do that, um, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have been to the... Um, Children's Museum in Olympia. I don't know the official name of it, but I think it's just the, the Children's Museum. Okay, I see, I see that many of you have been there. Well, one of my favorite um, displays or stations, I, I don't know what they're called, but one of my favorite places there is the water table. Uh, in fact, I think I would really like to go there without my kids sometime, <laughs> without Marcus. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Marcus. 
Uh, but it would be really nice to be there and spend quite a bit of time on that water table because I really love it. Uh, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, is this table, you know, it has water and the water is flowing a certain direction, but then you have uh, little walls that you can put in, in, in the, on the table to redirect the water. And so you have little boats or a little shark or a dolphin or I don't know, whatever they have at the time. And you, you set it at the, at the top or at the beginning of the water table and then it just follows the path that you have built for it, right? And so it, I, one of the things I like to do is, is see, okay, well, I want the shark to land here. So I'm like, okay, well, what, what do I need to do for the shark to land here? You know, so I grab a few of the, of the walls and, and start building a path. And obviously it's, it's cooler to do, instead of just doing a, a straight path, it's cooler to do, you know, to have a bunch of turns and twists and whatnot. Um, the reason I mentioned this though is because here in this passage, we also have a pathway. We have a, a flow of things. Um, it's almost as if God is saying, okay, this is my goal. This is what I want. This is where I want the church to be. And this is the pathway that I have built for the church to be there. And so be, before we read the passage, let me just give you like a really rough uh, uh, outline of this flow for unity or, or this pathway that God has built. At the beginning of the chapter, in chapter 4, there is a call for unity, right? So God wants the little shark, right? God wants the church to reach unity. And so there is a call for unity. And then uh, God in his mercy, the next step to that is that God gives grace to the church. In order to accomplish that unity, the first thing that God does is he gives us grace. And then that pathway continues and it says that Jesus gives us gifts. Jesus gives gifts to the church to accomplish that unity. And then the next step in the, in the pathway is that through the gifts that Jesus gives, the church is equipped to do the ministry. The church is equipped to function properly. And then the next step is the church functions properly. The, the church is being built up. The church is, is working towards unity. The church is growing. The church is becoming more and more like Christ. And the end of that pathway is that when the church is functioning properly, then unity is accomplished, right? So it starts with a call to unity and it ends with the unity of the church being accomplished. It, be, it, it ends with the church functioning properly and an accomplishment of unity. So let's read uh, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1 through verse 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended, far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the no- and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God. So from this passage, we're going we're gonna to focus mostly in the second half of the passage, but, uh, uh, but really, you know, we're going to, we continue to, to, to dive into the, the depths of the Word of God. Uh, but my goal for today is that we would see, out of this passage, we would see 10 marks of a mature Christian. 10 marks of a mature Christian. And ultimately, because this passage is addressed to the church as a whole, these are 10 marks of a mature church, right? But I, I, I wanted to make it a little more directed to the individual because so far I feel like everything has been more, you know, addressed to the church as a whole, which I think is great, is really good. Most of the New Testament letters, in case that you didn't know, every time you, almost every time you see a you, a, a you know, second person, uh, Paul addressing the, the church, it's a plural in other words, Paul is saying, you all. He's addressing mo- uh, uh, the church as a whole. Um, but I do think that sometimes it is good to address the individual as well. So, 10 marks of a mature Christian. And so, the first mark that I want to point out from here is the mature Christian allows to be equipped by those God has gifted the church for his equipment. In other words, the mature Christian is uh, uh, cooperates with the leaders that God has put over him and the teachers that God has put over him and the people that God has gifted him or her to be equipped. He he cooperates with these leaders. And, And, you know, we talked about it last week, how God gave special gifts to the church, right? God called the church to, to unity. God gave grace to the church. And one of the specific gifts that God gave to the church is these, uh, uh, these special gifts. He gave apostles. He gave prophets. He gave evangelists. He gave, shep- he gave shepherds and teachers. And the role of each one of these is to equip the saints. So think about it. Think about it. God is the one establishing the pathway for unity for the church, right? He wants the church to reach unity 
And one of the key steps that he provides is he provides the church with these gifts for the equipping of the saints. We talked about it last week, but I want to just do a quick review. The apostles were the disciples, the 12. It was Paul. The apostles were those who received uh, uh, a direct commissioning from, from the resurrected Jesus. And so what we have here in the Bible is the apostolic teaching, is the, is the, uh, the message that God that Jesus directly gave to the apostles. And so that is our foundation. Now, prophets, we talked about it last week. It could be talking about the gift of prophecy in general, or it could be talking about a specific group of prophets that along with the apostles served as the foundation of the church. I, I lean towards that view a little bit more just because of the way that Paul, in this letter, uh, uh, mentions apostles and prophets together uh, a couple of times. And then he gave the evangelists, and the evangelists are those with a special gift to go out and preach the gospel and bring more and more, more people to Christ. Some of the, some of the uh, um, not the disciples, but some of the people in the early church, like Stephen, he was an evangelist. And Philip, he was an evangelist. And we see stories in the book of Acts where they go out and boldly proclaim the gospel uh, Stephen is actually martyred because of this. Um, then we have the shepherds and teachers, and many people have suggested that these two come together, shepherd and teacher. Um, and these would be people who are taking care of the church, people who are, who are teaching the church, people who are uh, leading the church. Um, and all of these have been given for the equipping of the saints. And so a mature believer, a mature Christian, understands that God has given these offices for his or her benefit, and he submits to, to the design that God has given. I was reminded of Hebrews 13, verse 17, um, where this is the exhortation that believers receive about their leaders. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. A mature believer understands that it is to their own advantage to be shepherded, to be equipped by these leaders, by these people that God has gifted the church. Now, on the other hand, number two, a mature Christian understands that he or she is supposed to do the ministry. Okay, so these are two sides of the same coin, right? On the one hand, a mature believer understands that, that God has given people to equip them for the ministry, but they also understand that ultimately we are the ones who are called to do the ministry. The church is the one that is called to do the ministry. In other words, God did not give apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers so that they alone would do the ministry. He gave those so that they would equip the church so that the church would do the ministry. So this is not, you know, some people have, have suggested like a, a, an example of a of a football game or a baseball game, right? The, the Mariners are, you know, they won, they advance. Woohoo, that's great. But 
but some people have compared an unhealthy church with something of a of watching a game where I should have given a different example. I don't know how many players are available. Let's 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 go with soccer. You know where you have uh, eleven players on one team, eleven players on the other team. So you have twenty-two players that are doing all the work, and then you have several thousand people just watching them, right, and and cheering for them. Well, that's not how the church should work. The church shouldn't be. 10% of the people doing all of the ministry and then 90% of the people just sitting back and you know cheering for them and saying good job you're doing great no no the church in the church every single person in the church is called to do the ministry every single one of us is called to work for the kingdom of god to devote our lives for the kingdom of god sundays is not Necessarily, the main moment, like the Sunday gathering, is not the main time when we do ministry. That's actually the rest of the week. Think of Sundays more as the time where you come to be equipped. Think of Sundays more as the time uh, uh, when you come to be refreshed, when you come to rest, when you come to recover. But then think of the rest of the week as the time where you go out to work. And I don't mean just work in your, in, in your you know, business or profession or whatever. I mean, yes, absolutely do that. That's what God has called you to do. But I mean work in doing God's ministry, in doing the ministry of the church. But we need to make sure that we are holding these two in, in balance, right? Because... Number one, first, we have to understand that we cannot do this ministry alone. We need to be equipped. We need people who, whom God has gifted with, with knowledge, with teaching, with shepherding. We need to always come back to the foundational work of the apostles and prophets so that then we can be effective in doing the work of the ministry that God has called us to do. Number three, the mature believer builds up instead of tearing down, tearing down, destroying. Um, you see in verse 12, this is the purpose, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Our job as a church is to build up the church, to edify the church. One of the verses that comes to mind here is Proverbs 14.1, this verse is, is addressed or, or is said specifically of women, but I think this applies to everyone. It says, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. And I think that everyone, every believer, a believer who is wise understands that their job is to build the church up, not to destroy it, not to tear it down. God has given us gifts to build up the church. God has given us gifts to edify our fellow believers, to serve our fellow believers. But let me tell you something, and let's make it very clear. The gift of criticism, the spiritual gift of criticism, does not exist. The spiritual gift of judging does not exist. 
yes, there is a gift of exhortation, and yes, there is a gift of discernment, but those gifts are meant to edify the church, to build the church up, to encourage the church, not to destroy the church. Number four, the mature believer seeks unity, grows in his knowledge of Jesus, and is continually growing. And this is more of a repeat of what we saw last week, so I'm actually not going to go in detail here. I'm mostly going to remind us of what we saw last week. A mature believer seeks unity, verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. A mature believer understands that the goal is unity in the faith, not just this fake unity around something else, but it's unity around the common faith that we have, the common faith in the gospel. A mature believer understands that um, the goal is to grow in our knowledge of Jesus. A mature believer is someone that knows Jesus intimately, someone that knows Jesus uh, because he has spent lots of time in prayer, because she has spent lots of time reading the Word of God and, and, and communing with Jesus. A mature believer is someone who understands that the goal is to continue to grow into the fullness of Christ, into mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. A believer continues to grow. A believer is not content with staying where they're at. A believer can never say, you know what? I think I've arrived. I think I'm at a place where, where yeah, I'm, I'm the most like Jesus I will ever be. Or I'm already there. Hopefully you're not saying that. But a mature believer is not satisfied with their current status. But they're always seeking to grow. They're always seeing, no, the goal is way up there. The goal is to be like Jesus. And I'm still a long way from there. Therefore, I'm going to continue to work depending on the grace of God. Number five, a mature Christian is not easily deceived by false doctrine. Verse 14 says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. A mature believer is someone who has acquired enough discernment. A mature believer is someone who has been equipped by the gifts that God has given to the church, who has listened to her teachers, his teachers, who has been growing in their knowledge of God, of Jesus, and therefore they are able to discern when a teaching is sound doctrine or false doctrine. The image is interesting, right? Because it's that image of a baby, but it's a baby that is on a boat during a storm. So, you know, that's, Paul is really good at mixing images, but, you know, that's one that I just can't imagine having a little baby in a boat in the middle of the ocean. But that's, the point is that these believers are 
not mature. They are like children and they are in the ocean and they're just being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But a mature believer recognizes the voice of the good shepherd. A mature believer recognizes the voice of Jesus and is not easily deceived by false doctrine. It is interesting that this false doctrine is described as um, human, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. And, and I was looking into the meaning of that word cunning, and one of the translations is basically doing whatever it takes. And it is interesting because this made me think of some teachers that maybe they're not Maybe they are not intentionally trying to deceive the church, but they have a whatever-it-takes kind of mentality. They have a the ends justify the means kind of mentality. So I'm thinking of maybe, you know, maybe a, a, a teacher or a pastor or someone who says, okay, you know, we need to grow our church. We need more people here in the church. We need to grow our numbers. Well, what can we do? Well, we're going to do whatever it takes, even if that means you know, doing sensational teaching or, or doing teaching that might not necessarily be in accordance with the Word of God. Or, you know what, in order to grow the church, we're going to skip a few of the passages because they're just not popular today. Or we're going to, yeah, maybe we need to adapt a few of the things. Or, well, maybe Jesus didn't actually mean that. Maybe he said something different. And you start going down a path where you end up teaching complete falsehood. And so this type of whatever it takes, the end justifies the means mentality is it, it, it's, it's not good. It doesn't lead to a good path. But now there are other people, there are other false teachers that actually their goal is to deceive. Their goal is actually they, they are crafty and they have deceitful schemes and they are trying to deceive the church. But God in his mercy provided us with the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip us, to train us, to protect us. One of the main, in fact, I would say the main task that, God, that Paul gave Timothy in 1 Timothy was to charge people not to teach false doctrine. That is, that is, that is quite the challenge, right? Like imagine that God gave you a calling to say your job is to make sure that people are not teaching or believing false doctrine. But that's how important it is that we are in the truth. That's how important it is that we are learning the truth of the gospel, not some cheap counterfeit to the gospel. And a mature Christian has discernment because they are being equipped and they come to their leaders for guidance, and they come to the Word of God, to the apostolic teaching for guidance. They come to God himself for guidance. Number six, the mature Christian speaks the truth. In verse 15, it says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. This speaking of the truth is not just 
you know, being a truthful person in general, even though that's really good, right? We should always speak the truth. But this is more specific here, right? This is in contrast of the false teaching of, of these uh, cunning, crafty individuals. This is in contrast to that, which means that a mature believer knows and speaks the truth of the gospel, knows and speaks the, the, the teachings of the Lord Jesus. The truth is important because if you go back to verse uh, to chapter 1, verse 13, it is through the truth, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It is through the word of truth. It is through the gospel that we are saved. The truth is extremely important because ultimately the truth of the gospel is what's going to save us. You can listen to something, you know, maybe you don't like to hear the truth. Maybe you go and listen to some other teaching because it sounds more appealing to you or it gives you a better vibe or, or whatever it is the case. But if it's not the truth, then it's actually killing you. Then it's actually leading you to your own condemnation. It doesn't matter if you don't like the truth or it doesn't matter how appealing or how sweet those words sound or it doesn't matter how, how you know, how much aura or, or giftedness this, you know, preacher has or this book that you're reading has. If it's not the truth, it's leading you to your own death. And that's why we are to speak the truth to one another because it is extremely Important. The truth is also a part of the armor of God. We're going to get to that in chapter 6, where it says that we put on the belt of truth, and it is through the armor of God that we are able to stand firm in this spiritual battle that we are waging. The truth, it is, it, the truth is extremely important because it's part of our foundation. It's how we stand against the enemy, against Satan. Number seven, a mature, a mature believer prioritizes love, right? Truth is important, but truth without love is actually not that helpful. Paul in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about spiritual gifts, and he's saying, you know, even if I had all the spiritual gifts, even if I spoke in angelic tongues, even if I had all the knowledge in the world, but I don't have love, I am nothing. So you can have all the truth of the world. You can know all the doctrines of the Bible. You can know them uh, uh, forward and backward. But if you do not have love, if you do not speak the truth in love, then that makes you useless. God in his mercy might you know, still convict the person with the truth. But we have to do it in love. I think this is why, part of why, uh, well, if you think about it, Paul mentions the phrase in love multiple times in this letter, but even in this chapter, he mentions it three times, right? He says, uh, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in 
love. This is what love is. Love is treating others with humility. Not with, not with selfishness or, or, or haughtiness, but it is treating others with humility. It's treating others with gentleness. Not in a rude way, in a disrespectful way, but with gentleness. And remember that Jesus is the one who says, learn from me for I am gentle and lowly. I am gentle and humble. Love is treating others with patience. In spite of their faults, in spite of their weakness, in spite of their lack of maturity, a mature believer treats the immature believer with humility. Sorry, with patience. And it says, bearing with one another in love. I believe it is in the Proverbs that says that love covers a multitude of sins. I love the psalm that was read today. Psalm 103. And one thing that, that caught my attention is God's character, God's loving kindness. It says, um, Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is how God deals with us. Shouldn't we deal in the same way with our fellow believers? I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a description of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So a mature believer prioritizes love. Number eight, a mature believer, a mature church functions like a whale-oiled machine or 
a music band or a team. I know that I'm, you know, I'm mixing my analogies there and that I just told you that the analogy of a team is not that great, but that was the analogy of, of, of a team versus the stadium. But it is good to think of the church as a team where the whole church is the team and the whole church is working together. Yesterday, uh, Elena and I were in Seattle last night and we, we were invited by my uh, sister-in-law and brother-in-law to go watch a concert. And it was just amazing to see the five members of the band working together in synchrony. It was, it was just, I don't know, it was, it, it's just really exciting to see how all of the pieces of music work together to form something beautiful. Right? And, and it, was, it was really nice because we were close. It was a small venue. And so it was funny when like maybe one of the members messed up or whatever and the others just kind of look, looked at him and you know, smiled or whatever. But the whole thing, the whole band was working together. And this is how the whole church is to work. Right? If you see in verse, um, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When the church is working properly, the church is built up in love and unity is accomplished. When every member is doing what he or she is supposed to do, when every member is using the gifts that God has given them, then the church is edified. The church grows up. Kaleo, if we want to see the church grow, not only numerically, but also spiritually, if we want to grow into the measure of Christ, if we want to become more like Christ as a church, then we need to use the gifts that God has given us. Then we need to work together as a team. We are a body. We are a, an organism that God has joined together and we have different members in the body and the body only works when all the members are properly functioning. The church will be effective at saving unbelievers. Kaleo will be effective at spreading the kingdom of God and the good news of the gospel if and only if we are working together as a team, as a band, as a body. Number nine, the mature church grows into Christ. Verse 15 again, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, right? The church is not just growing out of control, you know, like here in, in uh, here on the West, uh, you plant a, you, you should never plant a, a blackberry, right? If you are from here, you know that you don't plant blackberries. In Mexico, oh man, it's amazing. Like blackberries are a delicacy in Mexico because we, you know, we don't have them. So maybe someone coming from, uh, coming from outside of, of the West Coast might be like, oh, hey, should we plant some blackberries? No, don't. Don't plant blackberries. They just grow like crazy. Um, so here, the goal is not just 
crazy blackberry growth, uncontrolled, going nowhere. Rather, the goal is to grow into Christ. The goal is to grow into Christ-likeness. We want to grow in our love for Christ. We want to love, to love Christ more and more and more. We, want, we not only want to love Christ more, but we also want to understand his love for us more and more. That's what Paul prays for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that you would understand the love of Christ. We want to grow in our knowledge of Christ, right? That's what he says, that, that the goal is to grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. We want to grow in our understanding and an experience of the power of Christ. We want to grow in our dependence of him. Ultimately, we, we want to be like him. The goal is that the church, the body of Jesus, reaches maturity and becomes just like him. And number 10, a mature, a mature church is ultimately united and it is grown by Christ. So these are also two sides of the coin. On the one hand, we grow into Christ, into the head, but on the other hand, it is ultimately Christ who is giving us that growth. We are not capable of growing into the image of Christ, into Christ's likeness, if Jesus himself is not the one who is holding us together as a church and who is the one giving us of his grace and strengthening us by his grace and, and uh, gifting us with apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers and giving us all of the spiritual gifts that he has given us so that we can grow into him. He is the one that holds us together. We can be united because of the work of Jesus. The thing that holds us together is the grace of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. The reason we are a body, the reason we are members of the same body is because Jesus gave his precious blood to unify us, to reconcile us to God, to unite us to God. This means that if we have conflict with a fellow brother or sister, we resolve that conflict because Jesus bought us both with his blood. This means that if we maybe don't feel like we like someone, we change our minds about them and we welcome them because Jesus welcomed them and me. This means that if I don't feel like being generous, I remember that Jesus, he was rich, but he became poor for us that we would become rich. And therefore, I extend generosity toward my brother or sister. We are so dependent on Jesus. But he gave us 
grace. Verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And we know that the grace of God is immeasurable. It never ends. So if we need grace, if we are struggling to to work towards unity, if we are struggling to welcome someone, if we are struggling to forgive someone, if we are struggling in any way, all we have to do is come back to the source of grace, to the infinite source of grace. And we do that every day. We come back to him over and over and over. And that is exactly what we're going to do right now. We're going to come back to him We are going to remember his grace for us, his immeasurable grace, as we proclaim his death for us. We are going to partake of communion, of the Lord's Supper. And so if you are a believer in Christ, if you have received of this grace, and you want more of this grace, then you are welcome to come here.